Well, hello again. It's great to see you. Well, I, I guess it's uh, great to wish that I could see you. And I hope that you can see me. I hope that you can hear me. And uh, if you get online and you're involved in this Bible study today, then feel free to send a little note or a message or something and say, hey, Bill, I probably won't be able to respond. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. But at any rate, it's great to have you. And it's great that you're interested in Bible study. Uh, it's a beautiful day here in Tyler, Texas, uh, sunshiny, and uh, we've had a, a lot of rain and some storms over the last couple of weeks, uh, pretty intense in some areas, uh, but today it's been, uh, it's been marvelous and just beautiful outside. So as I record these, I'm actually facing a front window because of the great lighting, and that's, you know, in when you're sheltering at home and you're involved in a in the middle of a pandemic, then you make do, and that's what we're doing. And so it's, I hope that it comes out well and that you're able to see okay and that you're able to hear okay. That's the main thing. I'm afraid that the lighting doesn't have much effect on how I look, but we are going through the book of Matthew. Uh, we have introduced that study. Uh, my goal is to try to get about two chapters a day, at least on the average, last uh, Tuesday. Uh, we only got one, which was Matthew 5, but that is a loaded chapter and also the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And so we'll get chapters 6 and 7 today, and, uh, and then we'll make up that other chapter along the way. The idea is to have these studies on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central Daylight Time. And, uh, and so hopefully you'll be able to join in. Uh, once they're done, then they post to my uh, website, and I uh, and we have them also posted after that on our church website on our video archives uh, at westerwin.com, and then you just click on the social media and resources and click on the uh, uh, the, the the link that takes you to our video uh, archives. Great to see some folks coming in, Robert and Mary Lee and. Jerry and Beverly, wonderful members here at West Irwin Church of Christ in Tyler. Uh, my old friends, uh, Dennis Hogan uh, from the Center for Christian Education, wonderful minister. And also my buddy, Doug Sifford, who's been pretty faithful in these. Well done, brother. Uh, I wish that I could uh, give you extra credit like Brother McCord might do if you wrote down uh, scriptures from memory or something, but uh, that'll be all right. We'll be okay. Uh, we'll be okay. I hope that you have uh, been with us a little bit, or at least are familiar with the book of Matthew, uh, one of the Gospels, of course, uh, Matthew being one of the 12 apostles, and we'll see his call uh, probably in our next lesson as Matthew himself records it. Uh, and, um, but he's writing down this message of, about the kingdom, the king and his kingdom, and certainly the kingdom of righteousness has great significance. Uh, as we uh, began in the Sermon on the Mount, which in Matthew's Gospel is Matthew 5 through 7, uh, then uh, we kind of looked at a, uh, at a theme verse. You go through the Beatitudes, which is just a very challenging uh, statement if you compare it with the values that we have in our culture today. Of course, the great passages on salt and light, uh, uh, the salt of the earth and the light of the world is what we're supposed to be emphasizing the difference, I think, and the distinctive values that the people of God and uh, Christians, uh, followers and disciples of Jesus have. Uh, and then in chapter five, beginning at about verse 17 or so, Jesus talks about the law. And he says, you know, I'm not here to destroy it. I'm not here to abolish it. I'm here to fulfill it. 
And that's exactly what he did, but he did it in ways that nobody really understood or saw coming. Um, and that great theme verse in Matthew 5, verse 20, which probably was a very big shock to the people who were listening uh, to Jesus at the time, uh, when he said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, their religious leaders, uh, then you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, they talked a good game, but they didn't, uh, they didn't live out. They didn't walk the walk. They didn't live out their faith. And they emphasized a lot of things at the expense of other things. And Jesus says, no, you, you, need, to, you need to accept it all. And you need to be sure uh, that as you uh, react and respond, that you are able to, to be faithful. Um, and so that's, uh, that's where Jesus is coming from. And, and, and I think that as, as he mentions that in chapter 5, verse 20, it's a great um, not just an introduction to the rest of the chapter, which it is, but a great introduction to the rest of the book. Um, and then from there, he gets specific. Uh, as the old preacher story goes, you've done left to preaching and gone to meddling. Well, Jesus meddles. Um, Jesus meddles in our lives. And if you come to the Gospels, if you come to Jesus thinking he's just going to pat you on the back and tell you you're doing a great job, I love you just as you are, don't change a thing, then you've got the wrong guy. Uh, because I believe it's Max Lucado who uh, wrote in one of his books, um, uh, maybe he chose the nails, uh, where he said, uh, Jesus accepts us as, he, as we are, but he refuses to let us stay there. And I think that's a, a, a great statement, uh, because he does. And just as we'll see on several instances in the Gospel of Matthew and in the other Gospels, uh, he refuses to allow people to uh, remain where they are if they are in a place that's not pointed towards uh, the Father and his will and his word and uh, putting the kingdom of God first. And so in this chapter, in chapter 6, we're going to see another great theme statement in chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And in chapter 7, the golden rule uh, to treat others the way we would like to be treated and a lot in chapter 7 about how we should live. Um, and so let's get right to it in this Sermon on the Mount. We've got a few that are joining us, and hopefully more will come along, and more will uh, be able to view it uh, after it posts as well. I really enjoy doing these. I'm sorry there's not much interaction. I try to take a look over at uh, the, any comments that, are, uh, that, that I'm seeing over there and just uh, welcoming uh, the folks that are coming. Larry and Lynn Murphy have have joined us and, and Jeff Fennell, a great friend and brother in Christ. And so uh, it's great to see you all and, and to have you join in on this study. So we're in Matthew 6 and uh, Jesus begins by really challenging us as to, as to the motive behind our direct worship. Uh, we don't have time to go into it today, but one of my favorite studies and one of my favorite discussions is that idea of worship. And uh, I believe that uh, there's a lot been written back in the days, uh, a few decades ago, Dr. Bill Humble and others uh, who have been able to write through the years about uh, worship and how important our direct worship is, which is when we sing or when we pray uh, or when we give or when we fast, all things that he's gonna be talking about here in Matthew 6. Um, but there's also indirect worship, which is done uh, as a matter of service to God by serving others. It's kind of the second greatest commandment in Matthew 22. 
Jesus will say that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God, and the second is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And indirect worship is treating our neighbors with love and consideration and respect um, with a desire to help them become closer to God. Uh, and when we do those things, when we help others, that's indirect worship. We're doing those things because we honor God. Uh, Colossians 3 verse 17 and uh, I believe 1 Corinthians 10 verse 32 and other passages say that everything that we say and everything that we do should be done to honor God. I believe that makes it an act of worship. I think the way we treat each other, we do that in that way uh, because we're Christians, because of our faith, because we want God to be honored uh, in our lives. Uh, but it's different when we're talking about direct worship, and it's different when we're talking about the worship assembly. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14 and Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, those passages speak specifically about the worship assembly and remind us that that's a very unique time of worship for the church to get together to focus on God, uh, but with the purpose of encouraging one another because we need that encouragement. Uh, well, as Jesus talks about worship in chapter six, I think he begins by talking about uh, our direct worship. It certainly has application to all other parts as well. And giving, I think, could be an indirect worship uh, act as well. Uh, but what does Jesus say about it? What Jesus says about it is to examine your heart. He says to examine your motives. And so this is what he says at the beginning of Matthew 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Well, I, I've spent my life leading worship, encouraging others to worship, um, uh, sharing Bible stories, uh, active in leading uh, sermons and preaching and teaching. And so direct worship and the work of the church has always been a very big deal uh, to me. And so as Jesus says these words, they're pointed directly between Bill's eyes. Uh, because being someone who has given my life uh, to leading the church in worship and encouraging other people to be involved in worship, um, Jesus causes me to take a step back and to examine my heart and to examine my motives. And what he says is, if you're doing this just to be seen by others, then uh, it's not doing anything other than what you see and what you feel, because it's not, it doesn't have any value uh, before God. And I, I think we get into real trouble when we start questioning people's motives. Um, knowing what's in someone's heart, uh, Jesus is going to say in Matthew chapter 7, by their fruit, you will know them. Um, and there's a great uh, statement later on in Matthew where he says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we can get a few windows, a clue or two into what's really in a person's heart, what really is their motive uh, for being involved in church, uh, for doing good in this case, for being active in worship. Um, but uh, to determine that for sure is impossible for us. That's something that only God can see uh, for sure. In the book of Revelation, in those two chapters, in uh, chapters two and three, there there are those letters to the churches. Jesus is clearly telling us that, look, a church may look like it's super healthy, 
but it may not be Laodicea, for example, or a church may look like it's dead, but it's not. It's very much alive. And the way the world measures is not the way God measures. And that's the same with our worship. So Jesus introduces this section in chapter six by saying, look, if you're doing your worship just to be seen by others, then congratulations. They saw you. They loved you. They thought you're a great person. You didn't point them to Jesus. You didn't act in humility. And your, your worship is not going to go uh, before the Father uh, and, and have that special place that we want it to have in honoring him. And so Jesus is going to pick three examples of, of worship. I think they apply to, to all others as well. Uh, but as we, as we look at this and as we continue in this, um, in this view, we, we realize that the examples he's going to give are uh, the examples of giving, uh, the example of fasting, and the example uh, of praying. And so we'll start with verse 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Uh, as I said, let's talk about the purpose of our giving. And this is not a passage that condemns if somebody else knows what you give. That's, that's peripheral. That's something that could indicate a problem and a challenge, uh, but not necessarily so. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. But again, as we read these, these passages on giving and praying and fasting, we have to remember that Jesus is talking about motive. He's saying, why are you doing this? If you're doing this to honor God or to help others, great. If you're doing this just so others will see what you're doing and think you're uh, the next great thing, uh, then, then that's not good. And so he starts with this passage uh, on giving. And he says, look, don't, don't do it to be seen by others. Don't do it so that everyone will, will say, wow, what an amazing person that he, that he is. He gives so much. Uh, we remember the story that um, we'll see later on. In, in the Gospels when um, Jesus is watching people as they are contributing. And he says, you know, there's a lot of people that gave a lot of money today, but there's one lady who gave the most. And it was the lady who gave the least amount, but it was the most from her heart. And uh, she gave all she had. And so Jesus clearly tells us that it's, it's not about the amount. It's not about the amount. It's about what's in your heart. There in a positive way for her, here in a negative way, don't give in order to be seen by others. And, he, and Jesus will use overstatement at times. Uh, we saw it earlier in chapter five when he says, look, you know, if, if your right hand causes you to sin, if your right eye causes you to sin, then cut it off and pluck it out. Well, that's a little extreme. Uh, if your go-to form of uh, Bible uh, interpretation is always taking something literally, you're going to be in trouble. Uh, but I think what he's doing there, he's overstating it. This is how important entering the kingdom of heaven is, more important than everything else. And here I think he's using some overstatement as well. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Uh, in other words, don't make a big deal about this just to be seen uh, of others. That's, that's not why uh, you are uh, to do this. Um, and so as, as we think about that, uh, I want us to think about 
you know, some people may look at that and they may say, well, no one should know what you contribute. Well, I disagree with that statement. I think it's a bit extreme. I, I don't think that it's wrong for someone to know what someone else is giving. I think it is a temptation if that happens and you have to be careful. Um, but it's good, I think, for others, for accountability's sake. Uh, Paul speaks a lot about giving in 2 Corinthians uh, 8 and 9. Um, and he challenges uh, the Corinthians to give the way the Macedonians gave. Uh, the people in uh, that northern province uh, of modern-day Greece, uh, in probably referring to Philippi, uh, how they gave out of their poverty, and because they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then as he's talking to the church at Corinth, uh, he uses the Macedonians as an example. So he knew a little bit about their gift, and he used it in a good way. Um, and I think another example of that is seen in Acts uh, chapters 4 and 5. At the end of Acts chapter 4, we're introduced to this wonderful man by the name of Barnabas. Um, early on, when the church first began at the end of Acts chapter 2, they were givers. They gave of what they had so that there would be no one in the church who had to do without. And that's such an important thing for us to remember today in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic when there are so many people uh, who have had their wages cut or their hours cut or perhaps have been furloughed or lost their job completely. And as the church, I think it's important for those who can give more to do that. And we have some who can uh, to take up some of that slack because the church, the life of the church goes on. Uh, and thankfully, we have wonderful methods such as online giving, or you can mail a check in. And, and I'm sure if you're not a member at West Irwin, your church has the same options. Um, but there's, there's, that, there's also that call that says there are some who have trouble giving right now or may, you know, Paul talks a lot in 2 Corinthians about uh, planning your giving and giving uh, as you have uh, determined. Um, and uh, this year, <laughs> all the plans are out the window. Um, and so uh, we realize that not everybody can come through on that. And it has nothing to do with, with their own uh, choices. Um, and so it's important for us to, to be willing to share and to give. Well, that was, that was the case of the church in the first century. The church in the first days that it existed at the end of chapter two, where they had everything in common and they shared with people in need. And one of those men who did that was a man by the name of Barnabas. In fact, they named him son of encouragement because he was such an encourager. Later on, he would encourage Saul of Tarsus before he became Paul the apostle. And then they would be missionary partners as well. Uh, but at the end of Acts chapter four, Barnabas is giving a, a, a great gift to the church to help the needy. And everybody knows it. Uh, it's not like he tried to hide it, but his motives were pure and, and he was commended for it. And then you turn to chapter five in Acts and you know that story, right? Ananias and Sapphira, um, they did the same thing. They saw what Barnabas did. They saw, wow, Barnabas really got a lot of praise for that. You know, I bet we could do that. We've got this plot of land. Let's just, let's just sell it, but let's keep some of it. But let's tell them that we are giving all of it. Um, and Ananias and Sapphira, you know, when they gave that gift, they, they didn't have to give it all. They didn't have to give half of it. They could have given a, a portion that they felt was right, that God was calling them to do. 
be honest and upfront about it and keep the rest for their own expenses or savings or whatever they needed it for. But that's not what they did. Uh, they sold their property. They kept back a lot of the money and they brought the rest to the apostles and they claimed that this was everything. And so very early on, we see how important God is going to take uh, the heart of righteousness in the church. And Ananias and Sapphira are both struck dead because of their sin. Um, but it wasn't because others knew about it. Barnabas had a gift where others knew about it, but it was because their heart was not pure in giving that gift. And they did it exactly for the reasons that Jesus condemns here to be seen by other people. So please give, give. It's important. It's always been important. Old Testament, Gospels, New Testament, Epistles, all of it, uh, all the time, because God wants to have our whole heart. And, um, and to do that, he calls us to, to give. Uh, he'll say more about that and relating it to trust and faith uh, later on in this very chapter. Um, and so we continue on in talking about uh, these things that, uh, that are direct acts of worship. The next one is prayer, and beginning in verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, the Lord's Prayer as we call it. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then you probably have a note that talks about some of the other manuscripts that make this statement. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, this is the passage that talks about the Lord's Prayer, and we find it in Luke's account as well, but not with the Sermon on the Mount or in Luke, the Sermon on the Plain, um, in, uh, in Luke chapter uh, uh, 6, but we find it in Luke chapter 11, and it's a little bit different setting in Luke 11. Jesus is praying, and uh, his disciples come up to him, to him and, and they say, Lord, teach us to pray, and that's when Luke records Jesus giving them uh, these instructions. Is that a contradiction? Absolutely not. Uh, did Jesus teach more than once about prayer to his disciples over three years? Well, of course he did. Of course he did. Um, did those teachings have some similarities? Yes, absolutely. Um, but this is a wonderful prayer, and another great series would be just taking each line of this prayer, each phrase, um, and going through it. It is the model prayer. It's, it's not the prayer that Jesus prayed, but it's the prayer that he taught us to pray, uh, that he would also pray, I'm sure, that great prayer in John 17 would be more of a prayer that you might look to as a prayer that Jesus uh, would offer. But Jesus te teaches about praying here, and he says a couple of things. He says, you know, when you're doing this, uh, don't do it to be seen by others. Don't do it just so that others can hear your voice. Nobody cares about that. And again, just like with giving, um, what does this mean? Does this mean we should never pray out loud in public? Well, of course it doesn't. Scripture has lots of, of, 
of examples of people praying in the hearing of others, including Jesus' prayers, uh, including the New Testament church. Uh, and so we, we get that. Uh, we get that. Some of the great prayers in Scripture are found uh, in the book of Ephesians, for example, where Paul prays for uh, his, uh, the people who are reading that great letter. Um, and so what does it mean? Well, it, Jesus, again, is telling us, examine your heart when you pray. Uh, when you pray, you need to be remembering that you're talking to God. I believe our prayers speak to God the Father through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, some people make a big deal about uh, uh, speaking to Jesus in prayer, uh, talking to him directly or to the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm not going to make a big deal about that. I think typically our prayers should go to the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. But are Jesus and the Holy Spirit a part of the divine nature of God? Yes. Are they aware of what we're saying? Yes, they absolutely are. Uh, Stephen prays to Jesus, whom he sees just before he is killed um, in, in the book of Acts as he is killed for his uh, faith. Uh, and so he, uh, I think it's important for us, again, not to miss Jesus' message here. But what does he say? Well, he says, you know, don't. Don't, don't worry about your flowery words. Uh, people don't care about that. People want to hear a genuinely led prayer. They want to hear you pray from your heart. If you're a worship leader, if you're leading people in prayer, or if you're in a small devotional or in a ladies class or a Bible class and you're leading prayer, lead it from your heart. You may have it all written out. Sometimes I preach from a manuscript uh, almost. Uh, that doesn't mean that those words aren't genuine and can't be presented in a genuine way. I think they can. And if you write out a prayer, I think that's a great thing. But just remember to, that you're praying to the Father. You're leading people in worship. This is not your own personal prayer. You're a worship leader. And just like in every other aspect, this is not about you. This is about those who you are helping to worship uh, before the Father. And you're a leader who is helping to facilitate that. That's, that's your role. Um, and so as, as Jesus continues on, he says, look, don't, don't go on and on and on. Like, you know, pagans think that if their prayer sounds great, if it's real flowery, if people end up, you know, after your prayer, they say, man, that guy can really pray a prayer. Uh, that's, that's not what it's about. But if people finish that prayer and they say, oh, boy, I really feel like I was able to talk to God. Uh, just now. Well, then then you're on to something. And use that Lord's Prayer, as we call it, as a model. Use it as an example. Uh, Jesus begins addressing the Father, praising the Father, hallowed be your name. Uh, and he goes on and he asks for blessings as well um, and seeks, uh, tells us to seek forgiveness. Um, and I love the acronym ACTS, uh, Adoration, Confession, thanksgiving and supplication. So you start with adoration, with praising God. Uh, you go on to confess your sins. Uh, you give God thanks. And then, then you start asking him for the things that are important. Sometimes that need is so great that that's where you need to start. And that's okay. That is okay. But if that's what you're always doing when you pray, that's, that's probably a red flag. Um, so Jesus says to remember that. And then in the last verses, he comments on one part of this prayer and one part only. Um, he says this beginning in verse 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. 
Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Scripture talks about that a lot, about not bearing grudges all the way back to Leviticus uh, and the old law uh, in chapter 19, verse 18. Um, it talks about that in Ephesians 4 and 5. Jesus tells parables about that, how important it is for us to forgive. Well, then the last example that Jesus shares is, begins in verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others their fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will uh, reward you. Um, again, it would be a great uh, whole lesson or two to talk about fasting. I think Jesus expected his disciples to fast. He didn't expect them to fast while he was with them, although I think they did, but especially afterward. And um, in the New Testament church, there's no specific command that we have to fast at any certain day, but there's a lot about it in scripture and specifically in making sure that our physical bodies are not in control of our lives, but that rather they are the servant and we are more specifically Jesus is the master. And I think that's the real value of fasting. It can be food, it can be anything. Uh, anything that you feel like is a part of this world, which may be perfectly fine in and of itself, but is something that you may wanna ask yourself, well, can I do without that? Would that be okay? Uh, we're getting a taste of that right now with this pandemic. We're having to do without a lot of stuff. And so we're kind of a forced fast on some things. I'm still kind of getting over March Madness and that that's, uh, I'm, I wasn't ready for that one. Uh, but you know, our lives go on and it's a reminder to us that it's really God who is in control of our lives. And all these other things are nice. And I look forward to the time when we have some of them back in our lives again. But it's not a completely bad thing. Uh, for us to do without some of the things of this world to remind ourselves, hey, this world is not my home. Uh, and I can live with less, I can do less, I can concentrate on God. Sometimes when we fast, uh, we should be specifically thinking about, about God. And if our stomach rumbles, or if this is a time when we normally are playing that computer game or drinking that cup of coffee or whatever it is, then uh, then I think that's I think that's a good thing. Paul speaks about uh, beating his body in 1 Corinthians 9, not in a masochistic way, but in a way that says, I'm, I'm gonna make sure that I am not being unfaithful in the midst of all of this. Um, well, the majority of the rest of, of, first of Matthew 6 speaks about um, our values and our giving and specifically about uh, what's, what's first in our lives. And in whom do we trust? One of Joyce's favorite passages in Matthew 6, beginning at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father knows that you feed. Uh, let your, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? Verse 28, see how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. 
If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, verse 33, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I don't know how many times Joyce has written or told our girls, consider the lilies. Consider the lilies. Remember the flowers of the field. Remember the birds of the air, how God takes care of them, and, and he loves you so much more. You're so much more valuable to him. He'll take care of you as well. This doesn't mean you don't plan for the future. It doesn't mean you don't act wisely. Um, all of those things are important too. Remember, uh, James says, faith without works is dead. So don't just throw everything in the wash and say, well, okay, God, you said you take care of me. Now I'll do it. That's not it at all. Again, uh, that's not Jesus' point. But what he is saying is this, don't trust in your wealth. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, Paul, the apostle Paul, will talk to Timothy about this very thing in verses 17 through 19. And, and he'll remind Timothy, look, you need to tell people not to put their trust and their hope in their material possessions. Well, how can I know, how can I know Bill, if, if that's what I'm doing? Are you willing to give them away? That's the question. Are you willing to share them with others? That's what Paul tells Timothy to tell the rich in this world. He doesn't tell them um, to give everything away. But what he does tell them is to be generous, willing to share. Because in doing so, then you acknowledge that your trust is not in that bank account or that uh, 401k or, or whatever it might be. But your, your trust is fully in the Lord. And you're trying to be wise and you're trying to be smart, and that's good. Um, but you also realize that ultimately your trust and your faith are in God to take care of you. And that's where those last two verses come in, verses 33 and 34. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and, and he'll take care of you. You won't have everything you want, but you'll have everything that you need. Philippians 4, Paul said, I can, I, I'm okay whether I'm in need or I have plenty. I, I'm okay because I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That's Philippians 4.13. That's the context for that verse. It's about trusting in God when it comes to material things. Um, and so the needs that we have, God will supply. The wants that we have, well, maybe some, not all. Um, but if we're seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, it'll be okay. If we're seeking first money or the things that money can buy or the glory that might come from, from that, uh, then uh, that's... Uh, putting something else on the throne in our hearts rather than Jesus, rather than the kingdom. And he says, seek first his righteousness, his kingdom. All these things will be given to you as well. And then he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Uh, it'll take care of itself. Do what you need to do today. Uh, I love uh, Sarah Young and Jesus Calling. And, and there's a, a, one of the days in there, I read it every day, uh, where she says, she talks about just do the next thing. Just do the next thing. There's a lot of things that we're worried about today in our world uh, in the midst of COVID-19, but do what you need to do right now. Do what you need to do today. Uh, and then tomorrow you can work on tomorrow. Again, it doesn't mean you don't plan. It doesn't mean that you're not uh, wise about things. It just means that 
you know, yesterday is gone, tomorrow isn't here yet, today is what we have. And so Jesus says, I want you to follow me today. I want you to trust in me today. Uh, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness today. Uh, and all these other things uh, will be given to you as well. I, Patrick Mahomes is one of the local heroes. I believe he was born in Tyler. He went to White House uh, uh, Independent School District uh, right here in Smith County. And when the Chiefs were behind to the Texans last year in the playoffs, and they got behind 24 to nothing. And uh, what uh, Patrick Mahomes had heard from Tom Brady the year before when the Patriots won the Super Bowl or went on to the Super Bowl after beating the Chiefs, uh, what he heard from him, he told his players, one play at a time, one play at a time. Yeah, we're behind, but let's one play at a time. Let's just do what we need to do right now, this minute, this play. And um, uh, I've, I've heard uh, the same thing uh, from other writers uh, who have uh, talked about one play at a time. Uh, do what you need to do right now. Uh, and that'll be a big part of making sure everything else works okay. Um, 437, so we're going to keep going for a little bit into chapter 7, and we may have to revisit some of it uh, next week. But um, chapter 7 is uh, a great chapter. And I kind of want to read it all because what we tend to do is read this first verse and, and act like that's the only verse in the chapter. Act like it's the only verse, not just in Matthew, but in the Bible. You heard me say the other day that this verse, Matthew 7, verse 1, someone has said is the new John 3.16. It's the one that everybody points to and says, see there, Christian, you need to remember this verse. You need to remember what Jesus said here and stop judging me. Let me live my life. Well, Matthew 7, verse 1 is certainly in the Bible, and it's certainly from Jesus, and it's certainly inspired scripture. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. The verses that follow, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then Jesus shares that funny illustration about how can you take a speck out of your brother's eye when you got this two by four in yours. And he's talking to hypocrites. He's talking to people about their motives. Some are judgmental because they feel so insecure about themselves that they want to look at others and judge them and, and amplify the things where they fail because they don't want to think about the things where I fail. And again, Jesus is talking to Christians here. He's talking to those of us who, who are the older brothers, uh, as Luke talks about in Luke 15 in the story of the prodigal son, the ones who have stayed home, the ones who are seeking righteousness, who are doing what Jesus has said, trying to put him first. And it's, it's difficult for us to look around and to see others who aren't doing that and not be judgmental. And Jesus says, don't, don't do that. Uh, God will take care of that. The Father will take care of that. You don't have to do that. Um, so don't judge uh, because you don't want to be judged. Again, going back to the Lord's Prayer, uh, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Um, and so Jesus speaks about that in the same way here. But let's talk about what he's not saying. He's not saying there's no place uh, for judgment. Everything else in chapter 7 is about making good judgments. Everything else. This Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, is filled, filled, with a call to live a certain way. <laughs> There's nothing farther from the statement, just, you know, go by your truth. 
live the way you want to live, do what you feel good doing, do what makes you happy. There's, there's nothing in scripture about that. And, and it, it perplexes me to, to think of how someone could do that. And maybe this verse is one of the ways. But everything else in scripture calls us to live a certain way. Jesus will say you have to deny yourself, not fulfill yourself. Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me if you, if you want to be my disciple. Um, and in John chapter 7, he says, judge righteous judgment. And so he's not talking about not judging at all. Uh, we have to make judgments. Uh, we make judgments in lots of different ways. But again, just like with our giving and our fasting and our praying, we need to do it with the right motive. If our motive is just to build ourselves up, then, then it is uh, condemned. It is condemned. Um, but Jesus goes on in chapter 7, uh, and he talks about uh, some different things. Uh, verse 6, don't give dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you uh, to pieces. Well, that's an odd, odd verse, isn't it? It sure, sure enough is. Um, how do you explain that one, Bill? Well, I, I'm not really sure. But one thing I do know, it is the exact opposite of what he had said in verse one. In verse one, he said, don't judge or else you'll be judged. And in this verse, he calls us to make good judgments. He calls us to, to be wise and, and what we do with our lives, with our time, uh, with our ministry. Later on, he's going to send the, the apostles out and others, and he's going to tell them, look, if there are people, there are going to be a lot of people, the majority of people are going to reject you. But when they do, just shake the dust off your feet and go on. It's okay. It's okay. And yes, you'll have to suffer, but I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Um, and so then he says in verse 7, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for a bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your father, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So what is he saying here? He's saying you can trust your father. <laughs> you can trust your father. And I know that there are some who have had earthly fathers who have been horrible. And I'm, I'm so sorry. That's not the way a dad should act. And there are some who have had trouble with that image of God as father because of that. And again, I'm, I'm so very sorry because that is not how it's supposed to be. Jesus says your heavenly father is not like that. Your heavenly father gives you good things. He knows what you need and he will give that uh, to you. And so he says, don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to seek, to knock because God will be there for you. Your answer may be no. Jesus was told no in the garden of Gethsemane when he asked for the father to find some other way than to make him drink the cup of crucifixion. So we have to remember that God is God. And so we ask him, and we couch it in those wonderful words, uh, thy will be done. Uh, the great Hilary Scott uh, song about that is just magnificent um, uh, with Lady Antebellum. Uh, it, it is just an amazing thought. And so Jesus tells us, don't be afraid to ask, and God will act as a good and loving father. This Sunday we're going to, or a week from Sunday actually, we're going to have the song, Good, Good Father in our worship service.
uh, and I'm looking forward uh, to that. And so he says in verse 12, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. And yes, that is the golden rule. That is the golden rule. Uh, whatever you do, do treat others the way you would want to be treated. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, as we might remember the old King James Version saying. And, and, and what, what exactly does this mean? Well, it, it doesn't mean what many of us in our country practice, and that is do unto others as they do unto you. Um, Jesus says, no, that's, that's not the model. That's not the model. And, and, and it's even a greater model as he talks about the great commandment. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's another example of how we are to treat others, the way we would love ourselves and treat ourselves in a healthy way, uh, the way we want to be treated, uh, the golden rule. But later on in scripture, there's going to be an even greater model, uh, an even higher standard which is treat others the way God in Christ Jesus has treated you. And so when Jesus washes the disciples' feet in John 13, he tells them, look, as I have done this for you, you need to do this for one another. You need to do this for one another. Um, in 1 John 3 and 4, John reminds us how we are to love others the way Christ has loved us. We serve them the way God through Jesus has served us. Us. We help them the way God has helped us. Um, we forgive the way God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. That's the ultimate standard uh, that we use as we reach out uh, to other people. And so these verses, verses 13 and 14, reach back to, John, to Matthew 7, verse 1, uh, that talks about judging, uh, and uh, it looks ahead to the verses that are gonna follow, uh, which talk about how you, how you know what kind of plant it is. Well, you know what kind of plant it is by the kind of fruit it bears. And you can um, um, make a judgment about that. Um, well, here are Jesus' words in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Those words are not created by some uh, conservative religious scholar. They're not, uh, they're not created by some fire and brimstone preacher. They're, they're from Jesus Christ. And Jesus says very clearly, the majority of people are not going to be able to do this. What I'm telling you to do and how I'm telling you to live the majority of people aren't going to do it because it's not our default human mode. Our default human mode is to do what we want. It's to not do what we don't want to do. Our default human mode is to do what makes us feel good. It's to do what makes me happy as the world views that. And yet we go back to the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 and Jesus turns that upside down. And he says, let me tell you about who is really blessed. And so Jesus says, look, you, you, need to, you need to not do it the way everybody else does it. Everybody else is going to do it to please themselves. Everybody else is going to act selfishly. But what he says is, my way is the way of the cross. My way is the way of denying yourself, not, not fulfilling yourself. It is for the sake of others, for the sake of being obedient to the Father, 
giving up those things for the sake of the kingdom, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. It's not an easy thing to do, and none of us does it perfectly. That is for sure. That is for sure. And so what, again, we don't want to be judgmental in, a, in an unhealthy way, as Jesus says in Matthew 7, any more than we want to worship in an unhealthy way to draw attention to how wonderful we are. But what we want to do is to be on a path that God wants us to be on, that Jesus has taken, that, that, that will bring us to the Father. And that path is not easy. Um, that path is not very well taken. Um, it is the road less taken. And that's exactly what Jesus says here. It's the narrow way. It's the, it's the tiny road. Uh, that is not the super highway. Everybody wants to get on the super highway. But Jesus says, enter through that narrow gate, enter through that narrow path, because that's the one that leads to righteousness. And then he continues on in verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. So what is he telling us? He's telling us that you need to be able to differentiate between the sheep and the wolves that are in sheep's clothing. How do you do that? Well, what do they have in their wake? What kind of fruit are they bearing? Are they living lives of obedience and justice and love and unselfishness? Um, are they helping others? Are they encouraging others or are they tearing others down? Likewise, verse 17, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Again, this is a different Jesus than what our, our world and especially our country sees. They don't see Jesus cutting anybody down and putting them in the furnace, except for maybe religious leaders. But that's, that's not the Jesus of the Gospels. It's just not. And it's not the church of the New Testament. It's a call that says, I am going to seek God's kingdom first. It's going to be the most important thing to me. And it's going to bring me trouble. He's going to say in Matthew 10, in a very, very difficult passage, he's going to say, look, you're going to suffer a lot because of me. People are going to reject you. They're going to hurt you. They're even going to think that if they kill you, they're serving God, Jesus says. Um, well, that's far from doing things that make me happy, <laughs> that make me feel good. But Jesus says they're the right things. And so he says, you want to know what kind of tree that is? Well, then take a look at the fruit. Take a look at the fruit that it's bearing. And so these words in Matthew 7, verses 21 and following, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. That passage should scare us all. It should, it should cause us to take a step back and take a look inside our hearts and take a look at our lives and ask ourselves, am I seeking Jesus first? Am I seeking the kingdom first? Am I really seeking to do the will of the Father? Because Jesus says there are a lot of people who say that they are, but they are not into it. They're not doing the will of my Father. It's more than just saying, I love God, I love Jesus, I love the Bible. I have no idea what it says, but boy, I sure love it. 
Jesus says, not everybody that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. How do you know what that will is? This book right here. It's the only objective, inspired, authoritative source we had. Preachers can be wrong. <laughs> we sure can. Others can be wrong. But this word is what we find the, the word of God to be. And yes, our interpretation and our understanding is limited by our humanity. And so we talk to others, we research, we do our homework, we consider, we pray. But it all comes back to this word. Because Jesus says there's a lot of people that are going to say, hey, I called you Lord. And Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. You never knew me because you refused to find out about me, to spend some time studying what my will might be. Remember, Jesus prayed in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. And he knew what that will of the father was. And so he quit praying and he woke up the disciples and he allowed Judas to kiss him and he went ahead had the Romans arrest him, and ultimately died on the cross. These last verses of this sermon, and then, and then we'll quit, uh, starting in verse 24. Uh, and you remember the kid's song, the wise man built his house upon the rock. The rains came down, floods came up, the wise man's house stood firm. Foolish man built his house on the sand. Rains came down, floods came up, and the foolish man's house went, you ready? One, two, three, splat everybody's favorite part of that song. Well, at least mine. Well, what, what that song is an illustration. It's the illustration that's found in these words, but what is it illustrating? What is Jesus' point? Verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, it's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Rains came down, floods came up, but the house stood firm. Why? because they had heard the words of Jesus and they had put it into practice. Verse 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, it's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Rains came down, floods came up, house went splat. Why? It wasn't built on the rock. What do you mean by that, Jesus? Everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice, just goes on living the way they want to live and refusing to seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, refusing to love their neighbor as their self, to treat others the way they would like to be treated, refusing to do the will of the Father, instead doing their own will. They're, they're like a foolish person who built their house on sand and, and it, it was destroyed. Well, as you would expect, at the end of this sermon, people are sitting up and taking notice because it's a hard sermon. Matthew 5 through 7 is some of the hardest teaching you can find, and it's the teaching of Jesus. And there's nothing in Matthew 5 through 7 to indicate that Jesus is thinking, oh, look, I'm just setting a high standard. I really don't expect you to live this way. Nothing to suggest that. Yes, we're not going to do this perfectly, but he absolutely calls us to make this the path that we're on. When Jesus had finished saying these things, Matthew 7, verse 28, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Jesus had authority. He was the son of God. And he calls us to a very important and deliberate, obedient life, a life that is seeking first his kingdom, a life that puts uh, others above ourselves, 
and a life that puts God first of all. Um, let's close this session on this wonderful, wonderful teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, with prayer. Father, we praise you and adore you because you alone are God. We confess as we read these words that we are sinners. They're so challenging. We've been so unfaithful. And so, Father, forgive us. But, Father, we don't just pray that you would forgive us. We pray that you would help us to truly repent, to change, to get on a different path, uh, to seek to do your will, to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Uh, Father, we are so very grateful for all of our blessings and we're thankful. And Father, we pray for the needs of our land and our world. And it is such a, a difficult time right now. Bless us. Bless the leaders of our governments in this country and our communities and around the world as they look at options of, of trying to uh, open things up a bit. We pray that they will be wise and that they will do that in a good way. But Father, uh, we ask for your care in our world, for your care in our country, uh, for your care in our communities. We ask, Father, for your care and your blessing in our churches. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. Thank you for being here today. Uh, next one will be on Tuesday, uh, Tuesday at uh, 4 p.m. Uh, Central Daylight Time. Uh, God bless you all, and thank you so much for being a part of this. Um, I pray that you would uh, seek first his kingdom, and I pray that you would uh, keep me in your prayers as well, uh, that I would do the same. God bless you all.